Jamaica, my preparation, my, my, when I would speak on a Sunday night, always like a 15, 20 minute message because we start at 7.30, we sing for about an hour and a half, and I'm like, I want to actually be home by 10 o'clock because, you know, I get a little nervous on the roads with the family being there. I should reverse it when I come back to the States. You get more time in the evening than when uh, you do in the morning sometimes. But uh, either way, we're going to go through Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9. Uh, I hope the uh, no tie is okay. I look at my two brothers who are the only ones who have ties on. Hopefully I'm not causing you to stumble, taking it off. All right, great. All right, so we're uh, continuing with Luke chapter 9. And I, if, if the Lord leads it, I would, I would, like, as I'm, as I go through things like these types of passages talking about discipleship and it's, it's built on conversations because sometimes everybody has a completely different perspective and it brings something different to the table. And I remember even in my life as I, as I was growing and reading a book like, uh, true discipleship and or the disciples manual by by William McDonald. I remember when he started talking about savings accounts, right? He's like, you shouldn't have a savings account. That he said that, okay? I mean, you could go back. I'm not I'm not making this up. And so like and he he used the word of God and so I went around and I I, I was like, I'm not having a savings account and I'd go up to all my friends and tell them like you shouldn't have a savings account, right? And I got you just get so fiery and then but as you begin to have a discussion with them, they begin to put different things into uh, perspective. And so, so you begin to grow through that process. So discipleship is a challenging uh, you, you know, aspect of, of the Christian life where we're trying to become more like Christ and we're trying to be fully committed to him. But we also have to use our wisdom. And that's it's going to look different in each individual's lives. Like, uh, th- think about the Apostle John, right? You know, like, uh, and, and Peter there, and when he's, he's telling Peter, like, hey, you're going to die for me. And he goes, well, what about him? You know, and he's like, don't worry about him. Like, you're going to die for me. He's not. And then, and John didn't eventually. I mean, he was, he was persecuted, uh, but uh, again, he was, um, you know, excommunicated and all of those things. So, so it may go into that, uh, but sometimes I get on a roll too, and uh, I just like to keep going and, you know, we'll see how the Lord leads. So let's let's read Luke chapter nine. We're going to read verses twenty-one through twenty-six. It says, "Reading from the ESV." I'm going to move this. All right, Luke chapter nine. Starting in verse 21. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here 
who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. And that kind of goes on with verse 28, but uh, for context purposes. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you again for your word. We thank you for this privilege and opportunity we have to uh, freely open it. We pray that the preaching is not done with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration and power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So here we are in Luke chapter 9. They, they saw all these great works, right? Go back to chapter 8. You know, we talked about it this morning, the, the calming of the sea, uh, the casting out of the demon, and again, revolves around this question, who is this? And then you see the demon responding, Jesus, the son of the most high God. And then you go and you see the, the woman who's been sick for 12 years, gives up everything she has to make herself well, can't do it, touches Jesus' garment, boom, healed, right? And then you have, uh, you know, uh, the, the girl, little girl who's, uh, all of a sudden sick, 12 years old, right? Becomes immediately sick. People think she's dead. I don't know if we know if she's dead or not, but Jesus just said she's not dead. So therefore she's not dead. She's, you know, and we see Jesus having the power over death. Then he gets in and he commissions, uh, the apostles and he sends them out with power and authority. And again, remember, I emphasized the whole idea of, of Luke being a narrative because, uh, you see the, the Pope, he kind of, uh, changed his view on, uh, capital punishment now, right? And it's like this whole, like, how does that affect America? And oh no, the Pope changed this. And it's like, you, you know, they, they claim to have this authority because they tie themselves back to the apostles. And it's, you know, maybe it's things like this, but we don't take power and authority based on Luke, uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 1, and, and it being given to the 12 apostles. We take our power from being being baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, receiving the Holy Spirit indwelling in us, right? And that's why we, when we talk about, when we talk about these miraculous gifts and healings and things like that, I didn't really touch on that, but when you see these things of casting out demons and curing diseases, the way it really operates within the church is through spiritual gifts. It's not that everybody has this capability. And I remember, um, you know, we get skeptical of these things a little bit, right? And so Jamaica opened up my eyes to it because, because you begin to see all, I mean, it's everywhere. And so I remember I had a, a, a brother and I call him a brother because I truly believe he is, but he came up to me and he said, you know, you have the gift of healings. And I said, I said, are you serious? You playing with me? I mean, this is a, this is a self-proclaimed prophet, right? Like, and so I'm like, I'm, I'm going to just pause and listen, right? You know, and, and see, and he's like, yeah. And I'm like, so like, what makes you say that? He's like, well, you move your hands a lot when you speak. So I'm thinking, that's just, I'm Italian. That's what we do. But, uh, you know, I don't know if you knew that. And, uh, but I took it and I'm like, Lord, if I had this gift, and one of the first things I did, I went to Joey's brother, Joey Cag. I went to his brother. His name's Jim. And I remember I went to Jim and I'm just like, I'm going to pray for you because somebody told me I have the gift of healings and you're very sick. You know, like he is, he just has all these issues. And uh, he was he was at this point where he was getting better with these antibiotics that he was taking, right? And then like so, I prayed for him, and he goes out, and I'm, I'm looking so forward to his uh, to his visit with the doctor in Cleveland. Like that's where he has to go for the doctor. And I asked him, I'm like, how did it go? And he's like, ah, my one lung got better, but my other lung got worse. And so I'm like, oh man, maybe I didn't put my hand on the right lung. I don't know, you know. And I'm thinking through these things. Of course, I'm I'm being a little facetious, but we doubt these things 
but if it's done within the right context, can we really dispute them, right? But the whole idea is that we don't read Luke chapter 9, verse 1, and think, if I'm a true disciple of Christ, well, then I should be casting out demons, and I should be curing diseases, and I should have the gift of healing. If you have the gift of healings, it's a gift from the Holy Spirit, and you operate through the Holy Spirit, and it's for the edification of the church. All right, sorry, side note, uh, because I wasn't planning to speak for 45 minutes tonight. Uh, you get through chapter uh, verses 1 through 6. They're sent out, right? And then uh, Herod asked this question, who is this? And we talked about that. Then you get to the feeding of the 5,000. They're uh, setting up this, basically this picture of the, the, the banquet and uh, the marriage of the Supper of the Lamb and, and this beautiful picture of what's to come and then even pointing to the Lord's Supper. And in their minds, right, Peter came and when they, and when he asked, Jesus asked him, like, who is the, who do you say that I am? He says, right, the Christ of God or the anointed one of God, the Messiah, right? And, and so Jesus understands when he says that, what he's beginning to envision is the kingdom on earth, right? That's his envision. So Jesus is like, okay, now you know who I am, but now I want to tell you what that means. Right, so, so if you're, if you're here this evening, we can't even begin to progress if you don't know who Jesus is. Right, and so I, I know, I know of most of you. Uh, you know, I think my first trip to Florida was, was it 10 years ago, right? When Joe and Julie Kay got married. And, uh, you know, so, but if you don't know who Christ is, that, that He is God manifested in the flesh, fully God, fully man. The one who uh, has made propitiation for our sins. How can you begin to even understand what it looks like to be a follower of Him? Right? Because you need to come to this point where you say, Jesus is the Christ of God. He is the Lord of hosts. He is God. And so therefore, when he says something, I want to listen and I want to do it. It's, it, even, even as you look, you know, as, as Christ asked them first, who do the people say that I am? And oftentimes you can go into the, uh, go into the world and you can get all these different thoughts. Jesus was a really good moral teacher and we appreciate it. Well, Jesus really didn't exist, but, uh, the thoughts of this person of Nazareth, we really don't know who it is. And they, all these different philosophical truths that are coming out. And especially in our postmodern world where we just want to take all the good of everything and you can have your own belief in this and all these yada, 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 right? And, but of course then when he says things like deny yourself, you're going to say, well, we don't like that part, <laughs> right? And, and you're free to do that if you don't take him for who he is. But if he is the Christ of God, the anointed one, the Messiah, the one who came to die for our sins, to pay for that penalty of our sins, well, then we want to, to do what he says. And so this is the transition that that uh, the disciples are facing. So he, he envisioning that they want to, they, they see him as being king. He says, he strictly charged and commanded to tell this to no one. 
saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. You know, I love Matthew's account of this when one time when he's telling Peter, you know, he's, he's telling him like, Peter, like the Son of Man, he must, he must die and he must be raised on the third day. And Peter's like, no, that's not going to happen. And I'm just like, man, I'm totally like Peter, right? Because I get so obnoxious sometimes that I just heard the first two words. My wife will uh, vouch for that. I just sometimes only hear the first two words. Like you don't hear the finishing thought of what you, he must die, but he must be raised on the third day. And Peter's like, no, that's not going to happen. Right? And it's kind of like, don't tell anybody about this, but I'm going to die, I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to be raised on the third day. And so, here begins this whole transition. Like, whoa, being rejected by the scribes, being rejected by the elders and the Pharisees? You're the Messiah, you're the anointed one. You're supposed to take over and rule. Like, And now we can't tell anyone because you have to die and be raised on the third day? And so Jesus is transitioning into this thought as they're going to go onto the road to Jerusalem where he's going to face his death, right? He's going to face his death and he's bringing the disciples along with them. Why? So they understand that, hey, this is what you're going to do as well. And he says that in the following verses. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So if anyone would come after me, he has to deny himself and take up his cross daily. He has to, he, it's, it's the same thought, you know, and, and, uh, we, we create these dramatic pictures sometimes of like, okay, imagine that you have somebody walking around with a, you know, uh, electric chair around their neck and that's what you have to carry. No, that's not easy, right? It's the same thought, denying oneself. You're denying yourself. You're dying to yourself every day. And I'm just going to throw in there for the sake of others. Because if you go back to everything that was happening, the kingdom of God coming was showing compassion on people. Right? And, and so, so even as we're involved in evangelism or as we're involved in spreading the kingdom of God, the, the good news, right? Evangelism requires engagement with people and showing compassion. And when you're denying yourself, you're not living for the sake of yourself. That's carrying your cross because when Jesus picked up his cross, right? And, 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 and he's carrying it. He's, he's doing it for the sake of others. That's why he's doing it. And a lot of times we, we deny ourselves for the sake of ourselves. And it's a very dangerous tread, right? And, you know, if you look at, at the, the fourth century monks, right? And this whole mindset of like, I'm going to go into a solitude place and I'm going to pray and I'm not going to be around this and I'm not going to sin and I'm going to increase and become very spiritual, <laughs> right? And then eventually the church realizes like that just doesn't work well. Right? That's, that's not what we're called to. And so, um, just, just a personal, you, you know, testimony. This is, I'm, I'm just gonna throw these things in here every once in a while, but it's like, I remember when we first wanted, when, when we, there we go, when I first wanted to go to the mission field, and I wanted to go to North Africa, right? And I had this vision. 
But looking back on it, I'm thankful one, and I shared this when we first went to Jamaica for, for, for elders who, uh, invested their time both prayerfully meeting with me and saying like, let's pray through this and work through some things. And, uh, you know, I'm thankful for the grace of God that, uh, I was able to kind of listen to them because that just usually didn't happen in my life. If authority came and tried to tell me to do something, I usually ignored and do the complete opposite. But, uh, God showed me a lot of grace and I was able to listen to them. But looking back on it, I know why I wanted to go to North Africa, right? It was to deny myself for the sake of myself. I wanted to be that Christian. I wanted to be that Christian. It's like, I'm going to go to the poorest country in the world. I'm going to go to the country where they're all Muslims. I'm going to go to the country where I'm going to share the gospel. And you know what? Somebody might shoot me and I can be a martyr. And, and I had this whole mentality of why I wanted to go. And that was what was driving me. It had nothing to do with dying to myself every day. And meanwhile, you know who is feeling the, the, the brunt of all this dying to myself for the sake of myself? My wife. Which it's like my number one call where he says, love your wife as Christ loved the church, right? I didn't love her like that. I wasn't dying for her. I was doing it for myself. And so as we begin to go through these process, and it's amazing how the Lord works because he has put me in a place where it is so humbling to say. When anybody asks you, oh, you're a missionary? Where are you a missionary to? <clears throat> Jamaica. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, oh, well, I want to be a missionary. Right? That's, like, that's, usually, that's usually the next response. And it's very humbling, right? 80, 84% Christian. What are you going there for? And... I remember as I was there, one of the things I learned is that, and I, I said this to, to Brother Dave this afternoon, is that, you know, Jamaica didn't need Mike. Mike needed Jamaica, right? And the Lord taught me so much there and worked in my life in, in such a way that, boy, if I didn't go there, I, I ask myself sometimes, like, I might be dead in the Middle East because I was so foolish to say, that's where I'm going to go, and who knows what would have happened to my children and all these all these other things, but the question we have to ask ourselves is, what does it look like for me to deny myself every day? You know, I look at, I look at moms, right? You know, and you, you see babies crying, and I'm just like, that's picking up your cross. You're picking up that child? That's your cross sometimes. I mean, I'm just, I'm speaking from my truth. Maybe you're, maybe you have children that are, you know, well behaved, you know, so, you know, my children, I have to work on them a little bit. They get the rod a little bit more, but, the, the idea is that, oh, I'm being recorded, and I'm live? Good thing I'm moving. All right. So, so you, you know, that, that could be, I look at my wife sometimes, and you know what drives me nuts? And I, I, I feel like I say this all the time, but one thing that drives me nuts is like, they'll go to my wife and they'll say, so, what are you doing in Jamaica? And I'm like, uh, yeah, it doesn't matter where she is, she has three crosses that she has to pick up every day. <laughs> you know, if she's not denying herself... Those children get neglected, therefore they're not becoming disciples of Christ, and who knows what they could be doing, right? She has three disciples right there for her, carrying her cross daily, denying herself, and she has me to deal with, right? That's, so that's like four children that, that I joke with her sometimes that she has. But, but it's this idea, what does that look like? And what we want to avoid is... Kind of this idea that if you're not out there doing what 
some of these other people are doing, what we're doing. Saying, oh, they're picking up their family and they're moving to a different country. I respect them so much and they have such a heart. And this is just us carrying our cross. This is just us denying ourselves. You know, there's there's some people who... They grew up wanting to be missionaries. And the Lord's like, yeah, you're not going anywhere. You're staying right here. You know, and I, and, I, and I look at us and I see so many young people who have this desire, right? And, and, and they're not being, and I'm not saying here, okay, because um, I, I'm speaking in general terms. But they, they have these strong desires to go out. And what happens is we go into these college campuses. We get these college-age kids. We have these youth camps. And we're like, let's go save the world. Like, we're, we're Superman, you know. And like, let's go and to these parts. The world, you know, 38% unreached people of the world. Let's go. You know, and they get all fired up. And then there's no, no shepherding there. So then they're just going out into these things. And then they just end up foolishly dying. And, and th- that, that's hard to say because you say... Well, man, if they have a heart to serve and they go into these other countries and they say, you know, you know, believe in Jesus or you're going to hell and then somebody shoots them, man, that's honoring. But is it, is it really? I mean, like the Lord has given us brains. He has given us a process. And what is one of the processes that get neglected all the time? What doesn't an individual want to deny himself for? The sake of the local church. I remember when I was sitting there with my elders and they're, they're telling me, you know, we just, we don't think Niger is the right place for you and your family. You, you know, you barely speak English and now you got to learn French. <laughs> they didn't say that, but they were thinking it. And so, it, it, you know, if, if we see your, your gift, I'm not going to tell you what they thought my gift was, but um, if, if we see this being your gift, we just don't see that fitting in well there right now and it took everything in me to submit to their authority and you know what young people say well and this is what was i was being encouraged with listen go get a job there go find another way you need to go that's what i was being encouraged with and it's, it's a challenge, right? You know, it's like, it's, it's not that you're scared or any of these things, but the question that you have to ask yourself is, what was harder for me? To find my way to get there so I can go and, and preach the gospel? Or was I, was coming under the submission of my four elders harder for me? It was coming under the submission of the four elders by far. And so, what are we denying ourselves for? For our, for our sake, to earn something. And it all comes back to this whole theology of risk. I was at a, uh, I was at a, um, a training, uh, what was it, two weeks ago? One, two weeks? Two weeks ago. And one of the brothers there, he talked about the theology of risk. And he went into detail. And I talked about this before uh, once in Jamaica. But uh, thinking through this whole thought of like, what does it look like? To, to risk our lives, our money, our honor, right? And because risk basically is an action that causes you, that causes, is, a, is an action that exposes you to the possibility of loss or injury. That's risk, right? So it's an action that exposes you to the possibility of loss 
or injury. It could be your life. It could be your money. It could be, uh, you know, your honor, right, as, as you see through some of the disciples. So, so what, what does this kind of look like? And I, and I just, I just want to go through a couple Old Testament examples, come back to the New Testament, and, and see what we truly are uh, called to. And so the first one is in 2 Samuel 10. In 2 Samuel 10, you have uh, kind of one of the last battles for Israel, right? David is king, and he went through all these things, and now he, he's coming and uh, he, he's going up against Syria uh, and the Ammonites, right? And so there he is, and you have Joab. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 10, verse 9, it says, When Joab saw the battle was set against him, both in front and in the rear, he chose some of the best men of Israel and arrayed them against the Syrians. The rest of his men he put in charge of Abashi, his brother, and he arrayed them against the Ammonites. And he said, If the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I will come and help you. Be of good courage and let us be courageous for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what seems good to him. Right? And so you have Joab there. And I I love it because he's like, okay, I'm I'm a commander. I'm going to do my best to win this battle. And he sees the Syrians and he sees the Ammonites. And he's like, okay, this is what we're going to do. Let's get our top soldiers. We're going to go against uh, the Syrians. We're going to line them up in the front. You guys... You're going to go up in the back. You're going to go against the Ammonites. And whoever we see winning, right, and you're defeating this side, you're going to come and you're going to help. And Or if they're losing, you're going to come and you're going to help. And they're going to help each other. But do you see where he goes with it, right? But let God do what seems best. So he's thinking through it. He's using his wisdom, but he's leaving it in God's hands. Because he knows, like, if the Lord wants to deliver us, He's going to deliver us. He's going to give us victory in this battle. But if we end up in defeat, the Lord knows that this is going to work out for the best, that He's going to do what seems good to Him. And so do we kind of have that that mentality going into things? As we're going into battle, right? Because we're, we're in a battle, right? And, you know, a spiritual battle and we're all these realms. And, and uh, But do we, do we count the cost? Do we think through things? Do we plan strategically? Again, I'm going to bring it back to the whole idea of the local church. I see so many missionaries who are like, I'm called here and this, you know, South America, North America, Africa, wherever it is. I'm called here and that's where I'm going to go. Meanwhile, their little assembly that wrote them a letter is basically dying out. And they're like, oh no, we need a letter. Let's come back and let's go hang out somewhere for a year and then go out. Right? And it sounds like I'm bashing them. I'm not. I'm not saying, I'm not doing that. But in my mind, I'm like, hold on, like, if, if we were thinking through these things, right? Look at the Apostle Paul. What happened with the Apostle Paul? This is one who was commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ. And my, my thoughts are kind of going all over here because I'm just being guided that way. And this is what happens when you don't really have notes. But so the, the whole idea is that uh, the Apostle Paul, he was commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ. Commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see him sent out by the church in Antioch. What does he do? He comes back to Antioch to the church he was commended by and reports to them about the work. 
And so even the Apostle Paul, who was, right, he was given this commission from the Lord Jesus Christ to go to the Gentiles, comes back to the local church and says, hey, this is what's going on, what's going on here, and, and communicates with them. We, do, do we see, some, we don't see that. Like, we, we don't see that involvement. I see individuals who are like, yeah, the Lord has called me to be a missionary and that's what I'm going to do and I'm just going to find whatever means I have to go. Instead of saying like, the Lord has called the local church. That's how he's working. That's, that's the battle. Instead, we're all scattering around and therefore we're ineffective because we have kind of left the local church and we've gone out by ourselves and because this is what the Lord has called me to, because I'm going to go to war, instead of saying, like, what is the local church doing? The only reason my wife and I are effective at all, or that the Lord is doing anything through us, is because of our local church. Simply put. And we've come to the conclusion, looking at our local church, that five years is going to look different. And we've just come, We, you know, I, I'm... I'm Asking myself, what is it going to look like for us? And we have to keep that in mind. Because this is the local church that we're fellowshipping with. This is the one that we have com- committed ourselves to. So looking at that as we go into battle, let's do it wisely. You know, so are, are we going to see things that God does that we're like, man, did we make the right choice? Maybe. Right? Are we going to see missionaries who go out and they're going to be martyred? Absolutely. But God chooses that. And he, he counts on us to exercise our wisdom, just as he did with uh, Joab in this instance. Look at, um, you know, look at Esther. Right? Esther is another example. I, I, you know, I don't have to talk about uh, the whole book of Esther, but you know, as she's going before the king, and she's there, and she tells him, like, "Listen, you just got to pray for me. You got to fast for me." But she she only had two choices: either die because of this law or die before the king, right? It wasn't like she's like, yeah, I'm going to go and I'm going to stand before the, the king and if he kills me, then oh, they're going to honor me. No, it's like, okay, am I going to die by being thrown into, you know, whatever it is and, and because of this law or am I going to go stand before the king? And then another example, uh, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and you, you, you look at what they say. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. So, to, should give you the background, right? Nebuchadnezzar builds this image and he says, if you don't bow down, you're going to die, right? And is it, it's probably very likely that somebody had it out for them because in all these people, how did they know that these three individuals weren't bowing, right? It's like, it, it probably was a little rough to see that, but they probably had these people who were like, we're going to get these, Jewish wise men who think they, they're smart and all these things. And, and, and so there they are. They don't bow down. They won't bow down. And so Nebuchadnezzar is like, throw them into the fiery furnace. They heat it up all the way, right? That even the guards burn up and all these things. And it says, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Right? So if God, he will deliver us out of the hand of the king, but if not, be it known to you. If not, it's okay. And so th- there they are. They're, they're doing what's right according to the scripture. They're not to worship idols. And they're, they're denying themselves. 
right? Because they could easily bow down and just say, we're going to worship the God. But instead, they pause and they say, we're not going to do it. They're going to hold to the word of God. And so you come to this point where he says, if anyone, back in the Gospel of Luke, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his, de- his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Right? And, and th- this is what redemption is all about. And unfortunately for me, it took, it took some really in-depth study to get to know what redemption is all about to say, boy, now, now I kind of get it. But you have this idea of redemption in the, in the, in the scripture, right? And we're talking about losing our lives and, uh, you know, gaining and all these things. But when we look at redemption, it means that, that we were bought, right? We were bought for a price. And you have agorazo, ex-agorazo, and the idea is that you were purchased in the slave market, agorazo, right? You were purchased in the slave market. What's the slave market that we were in? All right, sin. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm still used to Jamaica where they preach back at me. So sometimes they'll start screaming out verses and everything. And that's where you get your help. But so we're in the slave market of sin, right? We're, we're, we're slaves to sin. That's who our master is. Ex agorazo, where it's used that you were brought out of the slave market, is the idea that Christ came into the slave market. He purchased us. He said, I'm going to buy you. And you come, you become a slave of Christ, but yet that is freedom. Right? That's the free freedom that we have in Christ to live for Him now. So we are losing our lives in a sense. And it's the most beautiful thing in the world. That we can be in a relationship, we've been bought back so that we can be reconciled to God. We're in a relationship with Him. We've been made right with God. Therefore, we can do the work of God. Right? And, and so this whole idea that whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Well, yes, because if you're a believer, you have been bought out of the slave market. So therefore, you're not living for your slave. You're no longer a slave to sin and a slave to yourself because all sin has I in the middle of it, right? I heard a rapper say that one time. All sin has I in the middle of it. And sin revolves around self. Amen? All right, come on, help me out, man. So all sin has I in the middle of it, and the idea revolves around self. You're a master to your selfish desires. That's who controls you. I mean, if you don't believe me, look at look at like a four, three-year-old or a two-year-old. Like, it's all about them, right? Like, if they don't get something, they're screaming, right? It's a, they're a master to themselves, to their own selfish desires, to their own selfish, deceitful desires. Because every time they get what they want, what do they end up doing? They want something else. That's how the desires of, of self deceive us. Because you're just always yearning for something else and more. And you're just never satisfied. And that's why we're called to be content. But so uh, they're, they're living for themselves. So if you're living for yourself, what's going to happen? You're going to lose everything. Why? Because none of that matters in what? What has Luke been talking about? The kingdom of God. All that stuff doesn't matter. But now you come to this point where he's saying, you, if you lose your life for my sake, you will save it. 
Why? Because all of that is what matters in the kingdom of God. And so he goes on to say, For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And so, again, like, we, we see these things. What does it, what does it matter? What does it matter? Or what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And we read something like that, but yet for some reason, we still desire the things of the world. I, I don't get it. I don't get it. And I remember, you know, it's, I can only share what the Lord does with me. And that's why I like, I love discussion and I love meeting with people. I'm so much better one-on-one, believe it or not. Like I'm a one-on-one type of guy. Uh, I, because I just, I just love pouring my heart out. And sometimes you shouldn't do that when you're speaking in front of people because they might take something the wrong way. But so, so, but I'm looking at it, right? And I remember when we came back from Jamaica and there was an opportunity, uh, to stay in New Jersey and, uh, we just, we thought to ourselves, like, boy, this is just so great. Like, all right, we're coming back. Yes, good riddance, you Jamaicans, you know, like, we don't, we don't have to go back there, you know, some, it's just, that's how I felt. Melinda was actually the opposite. She's like, I don't want to leave, you know, and that's how, that's how the Lord works. But so I was going through so many things. I'm like, I just can't wait to, to get back. And so we come back and all of a sudden you begin to go to your families, right? Like you go to your sister's house. Uh, you know, and you see how beautiful their house is. You're like, oh man, it'd be so nice to have like our own house. We're in CMML in this little two bedroom, like, you know, we, we all just fit. And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to, to, I'm just saying how these are the things we began to desire as we saw them. And so we began to kind of go through this process of what are we going to do next? And I'm thinking like, man, New Jersey sounds good. I'll be around my friends. Like, We'll get our house, like, we'll be involved in ministry. There's nothing wrong with that, and there's nothing wrong with that. Perfectly fine. But again, why was I doing it? Because I wasn't denying myself. And finally, I'm so thankful for my wife. She's like, I think, you know, we need to ask ourselves, what are we doing? You know, and we went through this, we went through this phase where it's like, all right, Lord, we wanted to come back. We wanted a 10-year plan. So if we were going back to Jamaica, we wanted it to be for 10 years. That's what we were thinking to ourselves. If we were going to stay in New Jersey, okay, it's going to be for a long period of time. I mean, look at my children. They need to be able to adjust all these things, right? And, and so we begin to look at the things of the world. But like I said, my wife said, we need to reevaluate. And she heard a message from somebody, and he quoted... Uh, I don't know who exactly he, it was that he quoted, uh, but I think it's a familiar saying. He said, is what you're living for worth Christ dying for? And that struck my wife. And then she came home. I wasn't there because I was speaking somewhere else. And she told me about it. And she's just like, we need to just be open to the Lord doing anything. And then that's when the doors began to shut in New Jersey. And then all of a sudden, Jamaica became back in the picture. And you know what they said to me, uh, where we're going, which I'll talk about more? They said, we're just going to do one year at a time. I was just like, oh, Lord. Like, why? I want five years, you know? But they're like, we just want to do one year at a time. And so that's kind of like what we're going to be doing, one year at a time. And uh, why? Because we don't want to live for the things of this world. 
You know, and I, I wish I could turn to Luke chapter 14, but I don't know if you're going to get into it. But the whole idea, unless, unless one forsakes all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. And we have 10 minutes. I, I should have thought about doing this exercise. But th- there's this exercise that we did with a group of people. And we said, okay, draw two sides of a paper. And you have a piece of paper, right? And you're holding it up. You draw the two sides. One talks about spiritual things. The other talks about physical things like, okay, what's spiritual, what's physical? And so people begin to write different things and they say, okay, uh, my house is physical, prayer is spiritual, right? Reading my Bible is spiritual, uh, paying my bills is physical, whatever. And they begin to, to differentiate between all these physical and spiritual aspects of life. And there it is, and it's the perfect opportunity to explain what it means unless one forsakes all that he has. Because nothing is physical. Nothing is ours. Nothing is is what we should be taking. And so it's kind of in the context, or, is this for you or is this for the Lord, right? That's kind of the whole idea. Physical, spiritual, is this for you, physically, food, whatever it is, right? But everything we do is spiritual. Everything. And I remember talking to so many people, It's it's hard... In Jamaica, because, you know, uh, and I, I you know, I, I'm, I'm just where I was. I can't talk. I was in one little parish, right? But it's just this mentality that like, hey, you know, if bad things happen to you, it's the devil. If good things happen to you, it's God. And so anytime something, you know, they, they would... They would look at it and they say, you see how you got that car? You know, God gave you that car and you can enjoy it and all these other things. No, God gave me that car to be a steward because that's what I am. I'm a manager, right? So if, if I lost my life and I'm living in this world, I shouldn't be living for the things of the world. I'm just stewarding what the Lord has given me. And the way I'm stewarding it is so that he is glorified through it. So you better believe in that car... I'd be taking road trips, giving people rides, and when I didn't want to, <laughs> had no desire to, right? And you're just saying to yourself, I'd get a phone call, hey, Mike, I really need a ride. Can you bring me here? No problem. Didn't want to, but that's why the Lord gave that to me, and that's, that's what I felt. And so as we go, why do you want the things of the world? And we're kind of going through it now as we're transitioning uh, to a new place, and we're just like, okay, what do we need? You know. And then before you know it, you have 15 suitcases, right? And so, and it's like, do we need that? And if I was able to explain to you what were in the suitcases, you would say, oh, that's good. But uh, the, the idea is that you don't want the things of the world, right? You shouldn't have a desire for the things of the world. Why? Because number one, it's not yours. And number two, it's not going to profit you anything, right? As 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 it says here, that for... What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And so it's whole, this whole idea of living for yourself or for Christ. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words of him, will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of holy angels? And thinking of this idea as they're on their road to Jerusalem now. And it's... It, it, it's tough because you want to talk about so many things. But here they are. They're on the road. And they're going to see basically the process of Christ being denied 
before man. And if this is going to happen to them, we're going to lose face value as well, right? And just as it happened to the disciples. There's going to be, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm honest and I'm real. I got saved when I was 12 years old or 11 years old. And I remember when, uh, you know, because I, I know you guys know Joey, so I know, I know when I mention his name. But I remember when I would go with Joey and his family and we'd go to like uh, Wendy's after church on a Sunday night. Like everybody sits down, like Jim, Joe, and everybody, they're, they're sitting there, they're waiting to eat their food. Like I just sit down and I just start eating it, right? You know what I mean? They're like, oh, we got to pray first. And I'm like, oh, you know, okay, sorry. You know, like, and I'm, so, so that's how I grew up. And I say that because it still makes me to this day, right? And I'm just being honest, uncomfortable praying for my food in public. It, I'm just being honest. Every time I pray for my food, I think to myself, what is, what is this other person, what is this other person thinking? And I'm just like, you know, okay, like, why does that bother me? Because I'm trying to save face? Because I'm afraid of losing my honor before this person? Oh, what are they gonna think of me? And that's the truth. But I do it, and I'm thankful that, that, you know, sometimes there's, there's other people in my life who are more adamant about it and they're like, we need to, let, let's, let's pray, let's pause. And, um, but maybe it's your job. You know, maybe it's like, boy, like, how many times have we missed out sharing the gospel because we didn't want to, we didn't want to lose face. We didn't want to lose our honor, right? Oh, well, like, what are they going to think of, of me at work? Because I talk about Jesus Christ. Or what are they going to think of me when I say, I walk away when they're telling a crude joke and I don't laugh. You know, I worked in, I worked in a union environment for about eight years, nine years. And you know what? I was right in there with them laughing. It's just how I was. Because I was scared of losing my honor and my face before my fellow workers. That was more important to me. And so we have to ask our question, ourselves, you know, this question, are we willing to deny Christ before man? You know, and this, again, this is, you know, what, what does this mean? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. What does that mean? To me, it sounds pretty daunting that like, boy, he's going to be ashamed of me. I'm not going to go as far as say, well, oh, you lose your salvation. We're not going to get into that whole side of things. But there's a possibility if you're ashamed of him, when he comes, he's going to be ashamed of you. That is terrifying. These, these are one of, what if Jesus meant what he said? Which I'm thankful you're going through that book. I read that book, uh, you know, rather quickly. It was, I, I say easy read, meaning, what I think it was what, what Dave said. He's like, you read one chapter, you want to read three more. Like, and before I knew it, I was like, boom, uh, you know, went through that book pretty quick. But this is one of those things, right? Like, if you're ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you. Well, hold on. Let's really, he's talking to the apostles. Let's, yeah, all right. So what does that look like? And what is that, is that this time, right? We begin to kind of theologically explain it away when it's like, no, like, I don't know, like, if you're ashamed of him, he's going to be ashamed of you. There's a possibility of that. And I, I see that and, you know, it's, even as I was reading it, I'm like, what does this mean? And thinking to myself, it means exactly what it means. 
If you're ashamed of him, if you're ashamed of the Son of Man, he's going to be ashamed of you when he comes again. And uh, there, there is always an individual in my life, uh, just to even bring it back to this point, it's like, you know, when the Lord comes, what is it that you're going to be doing when he comes? Is he going to be ashamed of that? You know, or is he going to look and he's, is he going to say, like, please come? And is he going to, to glory in what you have what you have accomplished for him and for his sake? And so we have this call to discipleship. We have this call to deny ourselves. But what I want us to focus in on is what does it look like for each one of us? It doesn't look like each one of us. Now, the, the church is not doing what they're supposed to be doing, right? Statistically. Statistically, the church is not doing what they're supposed to be doing. But does that mean that each one of us should get all our stuff, pick up our bags, and go move to a different country? I mean, look at what God's doing in the world now. A lot of things are happening that people are coming into other parts of the world, right? We're having access to people that we never had access to because we couldn't go into their countries in a sense, and now they're coming out, right? And so we see the Lord is sovereign in all these things, and He's working through these things. But what you don't want to do to yourself is, I could never do what He's doing. I could never be that person. I need to be near my family, Right? What does your cross look like? Moms, elderly, right? S- sitting and, and giving themselves to prayer, which I'm so thankful for. Elders, shepherds, pastors, staying up all night, thinking about, praying about the flock. Their, their families who are involved in that. There's so much to be done for the Lord. And I think what we're, what's really happening is that we're just living for ourselves. You know, we're looking to Christ for convenience. We're looking for, for Christ, to Christ as like an increase in, in our lives, like a benefit to our lives, right? He's going to give us more money. He's going to give us a better marriage. He's going to give us more well-behaved children. He's going to give us more successful children. He's going to do all these things for us, right? That's why we're going to come to him. But it's the complete, it's like, no, 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 you're going to die to yourself and you're going to live for me that I may be glorified through you. And if I can leave you with any encouragement, if you really want to die to yourself, die to yourself and live through the local church. It's my heart. We're not doing it. And you know, like we, we try to create all these ways that we can be like, okay, let's do this outreach this is one more tangent, then I'm done, I promise. You do, you do this outreach, and we do this outreach. And I love what it comes back to this whole point of denying yourself. Why? For the sake of others. And how do people know about Jesus Christ? How will people know about Jesus Christ? By us going and playing soccer tomorrow night and then giving a gospel message? I mean, I don't see that in Scripture. I'm not saying it's wrong. I didn't say that. Right? I always have to caution with that. But how do people truly know about Jesus Christ? He, Jesus tells the disciples very clear. They will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. 
right? And then you go into when he's praying the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, right? He says, I pray that they will be one as you and I are one so that the world will know that you sent me. But yet here we are as a local church, not loving each other and being divided. I'm not saying here. I'm just saying in general, the church. Why do we deny ourselves? So we can go be these successful Christians who go and do successful things in the ministry? You know, like, oh, like, oh, wow, look, he speaks all over the world. He must be really cool. Oh, look at that. He's a missionary in Jamaica. That's so cool. I wish I could do that. No, we deny ourselves, take up our cross daily. Why? We die to ourselves daily for the sake of others. I know a whole bunch of selfish missionaries. Sometimes I'm one of them. You know, it's just reality. But why are you denying yourself and taking up your cross? For the sake of others. And that's, that's what, when I look at discipleship, I see it as a process of denying yourself for the sake of others. That's exactly what Christ did. And that looks differently for each one of us. We all have different children. We all have different wives. I know, I know, I know some men who have more demanding wives than mine. They might have to kill themselves a little bit more every day for the sake of their wife. But then I might have children who are a little bit different. That I need to spend more time and effort into those things. And that the Lord doesn't free me up for there. So hopefully that's the driving point for tonight. Pick up your cross. Deny yourself for the sake of others. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. And Father, we, as we look at this, this challenge that was made by Christ to the apostles that denying themselves, taking up their cross daily. If they, if they don't do that, Father, they cannot be his disciple. And we, 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 we recognize that. And we pray that the Spirit would convict us and challenge us that when we want to live for ourselves, that we would just be overwhelmed with conviction to die to ourselves and live for the sake of others. We pray that we would love one another more. We pray that, that you would just cause us uh, to have a desire to maintain the unity. That, that we pray that we would be one just as you and the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, are one. And Father, as we have heard these words, we pray that our, 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 our faith has been, been stimulated, resulting in our lives changed, that you would be glorified through us. Amen.